0: Hey everyone, welcome to Dev Educate. I'm Kamran Ayub. Today I'm joined by Jason Alba. Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, glad to be here.
0: Excellent. So, I know who you are because I've been following your courses for such a long time on Pluralsight, but for folks who are hearing you for the first time, do you mind sharing a little bit
1: about who you are and what you do? Okay. I'm I, I always start off with just saying I'm just a normal guy. I have had kind of a normal, a weird, normal career. I started out developing many years ago and I remember I was sitting in a room with developers talking about stuff and I could not follow the conversation (laughs) at all. And uh, I thought, well, I better go into management then. So I've been involved with with and around developers for a long time. I still have a team of developers that I, I work with very closely. Many years ago, I in 2006, I started a job search. I had gotten laid off. It was horrible. It was very bad job search. I did pretty much everything wrong. And out of that whole experience, I kind of Tried to figure out what I was doing wrong and what I should have been doing. And that led me onto a whole new path of career management. I wrote a book. I started speaking and I started, I created these DVDs back in the olden days and then started streaming what I called courses and eventually became a plural site author. I just released my 37th course on plural sites. So obviously there's a few things in there that we could fill the gaps in, but I, I don't want to, I mean, that's not, I, the show isn't about me, right? So that's a pretty decent background, I guess. Love it. And 37 courses.
0: I mean, that's, that's huge. 37. How, it's how insane. Many, how many courses do you usually get done in
1: a year? Man, you know, I mean, it's not up to me, right? So there was one year where it was up to me and I, Plural site was at a point where if I proposed a course, they're like, yeah, let's try that out and see how it goes. And so I did 14 in one year and it was, it was crazy. I remember at the end of the year, I thought I need a therapist and a massage <laughs> therapist. I need my mind and body refreshed. And it was really, really hard. But then there were times where they're like, okay, we're gonna, we're restrategizing our content. So we don't need anything from you right now. And so there was, there was periods where I went without doing courses for a long time. But yeah, 14 is pretty insane. I think I'd be happy maybe with like four to six. Six uh-huh. is pushing it though. Cause six is like every two months and I don't do my own editing, which is a lot of work. And, and even without doing my own editing, like getting a course out every two months is, is quite a bit. Like that's pretty much a full-time job.
0: So I'm really interested in the the 37 courses that you have. I think I was looking and I would say like the vast majority of them are on what I would say uh, or what we're calling evergreen content. Yeah, And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. I wonder if you could talk to the audience a little bit about like what is evergreen content? They might have an idea in their head, but like, yeah, what does that mean?
1: Well, let, let let me start off with, with part of my story back in 2000, I think seven, I, I started writing a book and that's a whole, that's a whole funny story in and of itself. But I wrote this book and by the time it came out, you know, a few months, you know, through the whole process, it came out, had it in my hands. I was flipping through it and I was like, oh, this, this is outdated. Like there's things that need to change in here. And the book was on using LinkedIn. And at the time back then, LinkedIn was like, they were, they were in a fast growth mode with their features and stuff. And so they would change. I want to say like, I think they pushed updates on or pushed code out on like Friday afternoon. It was really weird, but I don't know, maybe that's just my memory. But anyways, later on, I, as I started speaking and I realized that I had an opportunity to leave something physical that wasn't a book, that's where the DVD came from. And so once again, I sat down, created this, this DVD with I think 20 something clips, right? So it became kind of like a course, but it was a physical product. And when I went and spoke on stage, I could leave that with people. I could sell it and stuff. And, and, and it took me a few months to go through the process of like planning it all out. What am I going to say? And, and I don't know about you, but it's just as hard to figure out what I'm not going to say, like what I'm going to leave out of a course. And so I go through this whole process. I record it, get it edited. And get it to the the company that makes the DVDs, and get that back in the mail. Pop it in, watch it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like twenty percent of this is grossly outdated, and it, it it was it was very frustrating to create something that I knew that my very smart audience would come back and be like, this isn't relevant anymore. Like, what what's the more relevant content that you have? And so when I started with with Pluralsight back in um. It was 2012, because this year marks my 10-year anniversary with them. I They asked me to do a course on LinkedIn, of course, because that's what my book was on. And that's what I did all my speaking on. And, and I did, and it was cool. And a few months, I think it was eight months later, they reached out and said, hey, can you update your course? And I was like, oh, this is going to be a pain. And I thought, well, yeah, I'll do that. And I have these other courses that are around job search and career management. And I'd love to put those in. I'm pretty sure I don't have to update those every eight months. And that's exactly what happened. I, I My first courses that were, wasn't on LinkedIn were on topics that I traveled around the country speaking on, which was personal branding and networking and career management and uh, and job search and things like that. And those don't really changed. Like there are changes in some of the mechanics, but it's not as fast changing as trying to keep up on, you know, whatever the latest social network is or, you know, code or anything like that. Like the principles of, prod, of, of personal branding, I've stayed pretty close to what I started out with 10 years ago. And even before, cause I was speaking on it before 10 years ago. Evergreen basically is that. It's, a, it's something that you can create that can live through multiple. I mean, if we're going to talk about trees, because trees are ever some trees are evergreen, multiple seasons, right? They live mm-hmm. through the winter even. Mm-hmm. The evergreen content is something that you can put out and hopefully it stays relevant for a long period of time.
0: Yeah, and as in a long period of time, to put some numbers on that, I believe that some of your courses that you started with Pluralsight are still in the catalog.
1: Yeah, let me look. And that's um, that's
0: like ten, ten to nine years, and usually, after about five or six or six years or so, sometimes even less, like courses can be retired because if they're not updated, they're just they're just out of date.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's other reasons they retire them. It's not just because we don't update them, but like, it could be a strategic decision on their part to say, okay, we we're, we don't necessarily want this part of our library. The oldest course that I have that's not retired is from 2014. So that is at eight years old. It's, yeah. it's called onboard yourself, what to do after you land your dream job. And the whole idea there was like, when you land a job at a company I want you to be proactive. I want you to figure out like, you know, you're going to get onboarding from HR or from your boss, but that's just kind of like, you know, they might have a checklist of stuff that you have to go through and fill out this form and da da da. I want you to be like very strategic in how you onboard yourself and figure out what your role is and what your 90 day plan is and how to network internally within the company and how to figure out the culture of the, the organization that that's a lot of that stuff is not part of the organization's onboarding program. Mm. And, and so anyways, here we are eight years later, you know, and, and with the announcements this year in 2022, that I think I read recently, there's been 120,000 layoffs in the tech industry this year. Right. And, and that's, that's a lot of people who are going to be going to new organizations. And so anyways, the, the content's still relevant. And the next oldest one in there is January 2015. It's Management 101. Like, come on, you, you could have, honestly, you could have done a management course in the 60s <laughs> or 70s or 80s or 90s. And really the principles of good, solid management, you know, there, there are mechanics that have changed, but the principles of the topic haven't necessarily changed.
0: Yeah. I mean, people are still quoting Peter Drucker on management. And I I actually have a book of his essential management there. Yeah. They're written so long, but they're still applicable today. Yeah. It's the kind of the difference between talking about strategy and talking about tactics, like your tactics are going to change day to day and they might be different depending on what's available in, in the world, but your strategy is going to be separate and much more evergreen than your tactics. Yeah. Yeah. So, Evergreen content sticks around for a long time. So that means does that mean that it requires much less maintenance Is that is that the the main benefit of evergreen content?
1: That's a good question. I mean, that's definitely a benefit, you know, like I I I absolutely need to go back into these 2014, 2015 courses and and update like the look and feel, right? Because the the way that Pluralsight courses present themselves now are They're, they're, they're flashier, they're sexier, they look better, you know, they're, they're updated. And if you go back and watch my 2014 or 2015 course, it might be painful to watch. I don't know. I haven't haven't seen them for a while. They were cool when they came out, but so there's, there's definitely updates needed, but maybe the updates are a lot more on like the visual presentation than they are on things that I'm saying. Although I will say that over the last three years, I've updated eight courses, if I remember correctly, somewhere around eight courses. And I would get into a course that was say five or six or seven years old. And, and I would kind of, I don't know the best way to say this. I was kind of disgusted in what I came out with like five or six years ago. (laughs) And a big part of that is because over the last five or six years, I've grown, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like my, my presentation skills have improved my on-stage presentation. I've learned stuff from there that I bring over to my courses, feedback that I've gotten, like and then, like you said, you script you script I don't know if you script everything, but I didn't script stuff early on for the first few years. And when I started going back and redoing my courses, I would first watch my course and just like listen to it and hear how you know how everything was. And I was looking at, I was looking at a lot of stuff. Like I was listening to like the words that I was saying, the flow, the messages, the story, a lot of different things. Right. But I would listen to those and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, in the last five minutes, I didn't say anything. I just went around and around in circles and I used filler words and it was just kind of sloppy. And that's when I decided I am going to script my courses. And I mean, I cannot emphasize how much. I think you said it made your courses better or something like that a few minutes ago. Like Mm -hmm. it made my courses magnitudes better, like multiples better because I could spend time working on my script. I'll go through six drafts of my script. And I never, ever did this in school. In high school, college, my MBA, I I would do a paper and maybe go through it one more time to clean it up. But I, I hated going through my own stuff. But on Pluralsight, What I know is that if I put something out now, this could be alive in three or four or five years. I want to make sure that it is as clean and tight and concise and effective as it can be. And so I do go through my stuff quite a bit, right? So anyways, like you're saying, like one of the benefits of of having this evergreen content is for sure that it takes less maintenance, but I don't think I could have 37 courses if my Content wasn't evergreen because I would be, you know, like that early LinkedIn DVD which became a course. I would be updating that course every six to eight months, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe every year. I, I'd, I'd find a reasonable time frame. There comes a point where you have so many courses that you're updating every year that you can't put out new content, right? So one of the benefits for me is that I can put something out and I can say, you know what, this is going to be good for three, four, five years. I can just kind of tuck it away as done and then go focus on some new content, which is what I've done.
0: Yes, exactly. The what, So what I want to sort of point out, there's a bunch of things that you said I think that are super valuable. Just kind of dig into a little bit. First was the difference between written, written content and visual content. So if you create an article and it's evergreen, there's going to be much less maintenance on it because there's nothing aesthetic that you would have to change. But if you're creating video content and you are, you know, recording your screen or you're recording slides and the visuals start to get a little bit out of date, even though the content itself, the, the topics that you're talking about might not might not need to be updated. The visuals do because otherwise those are going to seem out of date. So there's different levels of maintenance depending on what type of content. You're creating, and I think what's important for teams who are trying to put out tons of content because I, I feel like I see so many you know businesses trying to do this like infinite game of content creation. They're just like churning out blog posts and, and articles, like Jason is saying, I mean if you if you are talking about an economy of scale here, like yes, your team can churn out three thousand articles on all these different topics, but now you're also creating 3,000 articles worth of debt that you're going to need to pay if if they're not you know, easy to maintain, if they're all on the latest trending technology like React and Angular and things like that. If they're all very tactical, how-to type stuff and tutorial-based, you better have a big team that's going to be able to maintain that over time. Otherwise, it's just going to get out of date and that's not going to look good when people are coming to your content. I mean, yeah. what's, what's kind of funny is that sometimes old content can still perform really well because people are still using old technology, but that I'd feel like that works a little bit better with articles than it does for videos, like videos, it feels like really need to be kept updated. Otherwise they just, they just get, they just go out of relevance or I know that's, I know that's important for pl- Pluralsight, but I think it's also important for, for businesses. Um, yeah.
1: Well, and and speaking of businesses, let's switch, let's switch gears. Cause I'm talking about, you know, my hour plus long courses that have to do with like soft skills and, and professional development, very evergreen areas. And then you're talking about coding stuff, but a- another area that I struggle with this very idea is like user videos for my website. So I have a CRM for job seekers and I've seen this with, with uh, LinkedIn and And some of the other things, so for example, if I create a, here's how to do this thing video, like just this little 60 second giver tutorial on how to add a record or edit, or you know, just, or just something like you're talking about 3000 things I could, I could easily come up with. Three hundred sixty second videos on how to use you know the different yeah, parts yeah. of my system yeah. well let's say that we go through and we change our menu and we up, we update it we change the icons, maybe change the color, maybe change the place of you know the placement of the menu now anytime anybody comes into those three hundred videos, even though everything is relevant, like the how to and the concepts and all of that stuff is relevant the the video doesn't match what their current experience is on my system. And they're immediately going to say, oh, well, this isn't the same system. Do you have anything that's up to date? <laughs> and it's like, well, <laughs> it still works. It's just the wrong menu, you know? Yep. It's kind of scary to think about. Because exactly. people are changing UI and UX all the time. Like, that's kind of a big deal.
0: Yep. And that's what happens if you're... If your product has quote unquote outdated videos and your competitor is putting out videos each day that are quote unquote brand new, well, and you're, you're doing the same thing. You're competing with them. Like people are going to, they're going to migrate to the content that's, that seems more fresh and Google and search engines and YouTube are all going to prioritize like content that has been refreshed more recently. So you get featured more in, in those, the algorithms will, you know, feature you more.
1: Man, it's like a, it is like an infinite game. (laughs) Yeah. And so as I've thought about this, like with my, with my courses and with my system, you know, all of that stuff, what I've realized is for things that are not inherently evergreen, right? So something that has like a user interface or processes that are continually being optimized. The question then becomes, what can you do? if you live in a non-evergreen environment and you're creating content, what can you do so that the content you, you create can number one, live as long as it can, relevantly, and number two, be updated easily, right? And so one simple example of that is I, I switched from, say, an hour-long getting started tutorial, like an introduction to my system, to to maybe 30 videos, because it's easier to update a very short video than it is to update an hour long video, especially if there's only a few changes that need to be made, right? And so we're talking about, you know, modularizing what you have in your content. And so when, when something changes, you don't have to change all of your content, you're just going back to that one little tiny module that you can hopefully make easy changes to and, and the rest stays relevant.
0: Yep, and I just recently wrote about this too. I called them avoiding, or I, I called it avoiding micro debt inside of your content. So one example that I just recently came up against was like if I want to show a URL that someone needs to go to, well, if I encode that into the audio recording in the video, it means that I need to yes. re-record myself saying the URL out loud, yeah. even though it's visually right there.
1: And that's so, horrible because yeah. like, I don't know if you do this, but I, I try and record at the same time of the day mm-hmm. so that I have my nine o'clock voice instead of my <laughs> 9 p.m. voice, right? Or my 5 a.m. voice. Like, yeah, cause some, like, and I've done that too with with my audio, I think about, okay, if this needs to be updated one day, do I have to? Is it going to be hard to to just re-record that snippet of audio, or am I going to have to do the whole video over? But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to think about when it's when we're talking about maintaining content.
0: Yep, exactly. And and for articles, it's the same type of deal, right? Because if you're embedding version numbers inside of the code snippets, or even even the same thing, taking a link, if the link is to something that you know, could change in the future, because if it's not a permalink, then it could definitely change. Now you have to make sure that you're combing back through your content or doing some kind of automated process that's actually checking your links. Whereas if you were planning up front and you were a little bit more strategic about it, you could create, you know, tiny URL forwarding that not only made it easy to uh, check which links are still working, but also to give you analytics so that you knew like what links are going to be, The most popular. Rather, I see so so much content that just links directly to some place, and then you come back to it later, and they're not keeping it up to date. You try to click it, and it's it it comes into a four hundred four, and so now the person is either going to just bounce because they don't want to put in the effort, because we're we're all lazy, we don't want to put in the effort to actually go find the content that you're trying to look at, or we are experiencing a frustration that is so great that we're willing to like try to copy paste the URL on Google and try to figure out where it was originally going to go to.
1: But, but, and that can be asking a lot. Like yeah. you're going to frustrate the, yeah. the learner. Exactly. I, I, there's a course that I did. I think it was on marketing and writing your book. And I probably did that in 2013 or so. Cause by that time I had two books that were published and, and they, they really were, were the reason why my, Why I've had much success in my career, right? Like, and I I can attribute a lot of my success to writing that very first book, especially. But, anyways, in the writing and marketing your book course, I shared a lot of ideas and I shared a lot of tools. And when I went back to review that course, I was like, 90% of those tools weren't around anymore. Like, they were just, they were dead, right? It wasn't as just a dead leak, but like the concept, the company, they were all gone. And so, that's something else I've learned with evergreen content is I'm yeah. really careful, not just about the links. And I think you have a good uh, solution with using something like tiny URL or Bitly or something like that. But but I've started to rethink, okay, how do I reference something? Do I reference a company? And, and, and then there's the whole question of, okay, let's say I reference a company and then the CEO does something horrific. Right. And now everybody hates the company. And I it looks like I've endorsed it, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then you start tr- trying to figure out, you know, what kind of arm's length should I have from any particular organization or technology or something like that? And 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 the more you think about that, the more you're future-proofing your content, it might feel less personal or, or less like, like solution driven, like, you know what, just give me like the list of 10 things that you use. Cause I don't need to go find them on my own and do the research. What are the ones that you actually use? Well, maybe that's where you create a handout, right? So now you have this, this video course and you have your visuals and you have your audio and it can live pretty long. As long as you say something like, you know, click, click here, or go to my website to, download the most current list of, of tools that we're using with maybe an explanation of what we like about them or something like that. Yep,
0: exactly. And what you said, too, was reminding me of trying to articulate like, so one of the benefits of evergreen content is that it reduces learner friction, right? Because we were just saying where if, if something is out of date, it creates it creates friction, which could cause someone to... to to not continue with the learning, which means they're going to continue not continue with learning the product, which means they're not going to adopt the product in the the worst case. So it creates that friction, but with evergreen content, you're reducing a lot of the learning friction because people aren't running into that. And then the other thing that you mentioned too with, with creating evergreen content, because you are moving up a level, like you're saying, okay, I could focus on this specific solution, but what if we move up a level And we talk about, you know, a more strategic level above it. Now you're actually getting into like a thought leadership space. So if you're creating evergreen content, it's probably going to be thinking about things at a bit of a higher level. And now you're going to be able to start creating more thought leadership style content. It's going to live a lot longer than just solution-based content. It's like thinking about what are, like, what's the different channels and mediums that are going to work well for different kinds of content like non-evergreen content if you have a community that's probably okay right because people are looking for a solution in the moment and so you can post something and it's ephemeral it's probably not going to last too long it's going to be relevant to them right away or it's creating That idea of the separate pieces of content that are companions to your your main content, like your video course and then the handout, or you create a a white paper or an ebook that's more evergreen, but then you have an article that goes along with it that's a bit easier to update. You don't have to go through the whole printing process again or the design process again. Things like that. Just thinking about how what's the type of thing, what's the type of thing you want to teach? And then what might be a medium that makes it a little bit easier to maintain over time if it's going to churn a lot. Yep. It's like that the uh, content churn.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and so then you have your your heavier like your more likely churn content and something that's super easy to update. A one-page thing. So let let me go back to something you said just a few minutes ago that you know, you said the worst thing is that and I don't remember if it was a, that, the, that the learner is frustrated or or they don't get the right information or the most updated information or whatever. For me, one of the worst things that would happen is if my, I want to say my brand or my reputation becomes one of, you know, Jason's outdated or Jason doesn't know what he talks about or so, so, I mean, when I create my content for me, it is com- tied into what I want my brand to be. I want people to think of me as like, you know, relevant and maybe wisdom and, you know, some of these other things. And the more outdated my stuff either is or feels right, because going back to the whole Drucker thing, I mean, I remember watching videos of, you know, the Drucker group back in the olden days. And it's a bunch of white haired people on video talking about stuff. And I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, I don't know if that stuff's still relevant to today, (laughs) right? Well, it was, but it didn't feel relevant, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so anyways, my whole point is for me, a lot of what we're talking about is as much important for your personal or your organizational brand as it is for, you know, for the learner or whatever.
0: That's a, that's a very good point. I, I didn't even think about that. that it's, I mean, I do, talk, I do talk about the learning experience, sort of like the like user experience, where it's a, every single touch point that a user is using your product, is we consider that a user experience. And every single touch point where you're educating someone on your product is a learning experience. And if they're getting a negative impression from that, if they think that you're outdated, if it's not relevant if it's frustrating if it's missing information all that is creating an impression of your brand's learning experience
1: yeah yeah and and that's nowadays that's do or die like that that can kill your organization i remember Years and years ago, somebody messaged me and said, I was going to upgrade on your site, the job search CRM, but the checkout process was just antiquated and I basically lost trust. And if your checkout process is like this, I don't know if I can, you know, if I can use your system. And I, it was fascinating to me to think about how much work you put into say your whole system or certain parts of your system to be best of breed or better than competition or whatever. And then one little thing impacts, like it, it flavors the rest of what you have. So anyways, I, I mean, I have a course on personal branding. I'm kind of a personal branding nut. I'm very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to my courses, the last thing I want is for someone to watch one course and think, eh, you know, not a good presenter, stale ideas, not relevant to my industry or where I'm at in my career. Like I want them to think, wow, Jason is the expert, subject matter expert and thought leader. Those are the two things that I go after with my branding strategy. And and that means that I need to have better, tighter, cleaner courses. Yeah, exactly. So
0: I think what could be interesting to talk about is do you have a a system where you're kind of keeping track of your your course catalog and like understanding you know, when something needs to be updated because it seems like that could be super helpful even for an organization that it's it's got this marketing plan, this content plan. I've seen these, oh, we're going to put out 25 articles, you know, this quarter, but there's no plan for what happens after that. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, you know, recognizing that everything that I have, because I've transitioned all the courses that I had on Jibber Jabber over to Pluralsight. Like I got to the point where I was like, I'm not maintaining two different course libraries, and clearly, PluralSight's the direction that I'm going to invest in. So, really, I've taken direction from PluralSight to understand what needs to be updated and when things need to be updated, and things like that. And and uh, I'll go back and look in, on my author page because it shows me my courses and my ratings and all that stuff, and and I can and, and I see it by. What's oldest. And I'll go through and look at things every once in a while and think, oh, that probably needs a makeover or whatever. But really, you know, I was focusing on on adding more content over the years. And then a few years ago, they came and said, hey, great stuff. It's time to update. And I at the beginning, I thought updating was gonna be a bit of a project. I didn't realize that I would essentially be rewriting and recreating. And redesigning and reconceptualizing each course, and so the updates alone were two or three month projects, right? Uh, so to answer your question, I don't really have a good system. It's more of kind of what Pluralsight is is pushing me on. But if there's something that is performing very well, I will be very careful. You know, I'll go through it and say, you know what, it's time. Maybe I need to carve out a couple months to update this particular course
0: yeah no that's a good that's a good point like paying attention to your high performing content because that's probably what you want to prioritize you know making sure that it's kept up to date and uh, in specific to like developer education which includes like product documentation I mean what you'll see lots of companies do is they'll define long-term support versions so the LTS versions you are committing to you know keeping the documentation accurate and up-to-date whereas the the versions that are going to fall out of support you can you can safely know that okay we don't need to keep this content out of date because that's not part of our lts support schedule so you can create these kinds of systems that allow you to categorize your content in terms of like okay we're, we're gonna call this one evergreen and it's going to be like a long-term support content we want to make sure that we have a regular Kind of uh, standard operating procedure where we we do an audit where we go through this content again every so often once a quarter or something like that to make sure that it's still accurate. And then this other type of content, you know, is it's okay if it churns a little bit more. And actually, this content we're gonna actually go back and put in put a notice that says this content is over two years old, like, and we have an updated version. Go here. So it's you know part of versioning the content, creating links between content, going back and and doing an audit and and all that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and working with product and figuring out, you know, what, what they, what changes are coming down the line or what strategic direction, any particular person like a department or executive or whatever wants to focus on what, what, where sales is moving towards. Right. So if sales has something that they really want to emphasize or a new product line or something like that, then. Maybe it makes more sense to make sure that stuff's really fresh since that's going to be on the front line with the sales team, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, like, like my little example of like, whether I decide something needs to be updated or whether side needs to be updated. When you're working within an organization, you have all these different stakeholders and they have different reasons, you know, maybe onboarding, your onboarding team is like, dude, we're having a lot of questions with this interface or process or whatever and if we could just push out a little bit of content that we could point people to that would take away like 20 percent of our calls you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so figuring out within your organization you know who the different stakeholders are and what their drivers are and and it's not I mean obviously you're not going to satisfy everybody but you're you should be able to figure out what your priorities are and then say okay sales needs this and onboarding needs this. And here's the order that we can push these out, you know, to, to be part of the strategic plan moving forward.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the benefits too, of, of open source organizations, or at least putting your developer documentation or some of your education in like an open source repo, because then your audience can go in and they can edit the pages on GitHub and they can submit pull requests. I mean, that's, That's what's happened with our game engine. Like we've created the initial documentation, but then people go in and they send us pull requests. We're like, well, I didn't understand this, but I did find information here. Could we add that to the docs? We're like, yes, thank you. Whereas if it was closed, like we wouldn't get that type of feedback. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and some people are going to walk away frustrated because you didn't, you know, you're not accommodating them first or whatever, but you know. It's it's not it's not ever really about one particular group. It's it's usually about what's best for the organization or the customers or the prospects or whatever. Yes.
0: So one thing that we could touch on a little bit is maybe what what do you think is the type of like developer education that makes sense to be evergreen versus stuff that you know might not make sense to be evergreen? Because I mean, ideally you would want a lot of evergreen content so that you're reducing maintenance and you're you're getting all these other benefits that we've talked about versus so much like tactical content that's going to go outdated quickly it's like a car driving off the lot it's immediately depreciated as soon as that content goes out it's outdated like you want to try to reduce the amount of times that's happening yeah
1: i mean I don't know if that's the right question to ask because sometimes you're just going to have to come up with stuff that's not evergreen. Mm-hmm. And inherently, you're not going to be able to make it evergreen. So then, the question becomes: How do you make non-evergreen content last longer?
0: Right, easier to update, maintain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like and, more more resilient to churn. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I and could,
1: that that goes in. Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to suggest, so trying to brainstorm like uh, types of concepts. Like I was just thinking that uh, like a conceptual guide, like I'm thinking of something more like the, if you're thinking about Webpack, which is a, you know, a build tool that a lot of front-end developers are familiar with, like they've split up their documentation site into like conceptual guides, API reference, and then how to. And the conceptual Mm -hmm. guides, I don't think, churn very often because they're more about concepts. So that's a little bit easier to, you know, those are might be considered more evergreen content versus the how-to guides, which are separate, are probably going to change a little bit more often because those are more integration-based. Like, okay, how do you integrate Webpack with TypeScript? Well, if if TypeScript, you know, revs a new version farther down the line that is going to cause an update to that how-to guide well, you'll, you'll know and you'll be able to just go update that one article instead of trying to go and find all the other articles that might include information about integrating TypeScript into them. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely there definitely seems to be some strategy there to maybe dividing at least product documentation and maybe written content into some of these different buckets.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I, and go, going back to where that's coming from is like, what are the ways that we can make churnable content, less churnable or, or live longer is the way I put it. You know, there's this idea that if you learn one programming language, it's easier to learn another because the first language you learn and the second and the third, you're really learning a lot of concepts, right? And in the next language, you already got some of the programming fundamentals and the concepts understood to a certain level. It's just the tactics of how a different language approaches it or, or, or semantics or, you know, all that stuff. And so maybe a way to help your stuff live longer is to talk about those concepts. Like, Hey, here's a, you know, here's something that you do as a developer and you might've done it like this in this language. Here's how we do it in this language or or something like that. And, and so it, it goes up more to that conceptual level that you're talking about, and the how-to becomes a little less important. Okay, let me give you an example of kind of a, I mean, I, it was really an impressive video at the time. So I was writing documentation for a program, an app that I made a long time ago, long, long time ago. I was an intern, so this is that, that long ago. And in my, in my documentation, I said, you know, click here and then, and then, you know, right click on this thing and choose that and then left click on the other thing. And my boss who had many years, more experience than I had, she came back and she said, don't put left click. And I said, well, why not? Like, I I don't want to confuse them because I just said right click. And I would hate for a user to right click when they're supposed to left click and whatever. And she said, there are certain things that people just need to know without you telling them every single step. And the problem, when you start getting very granular in your instruction, right? This is where we get into the prescription mode, where we're we're telling them every tiny little click, even though some of it's intuitive. The problem is once we start being that prescriptive, they expect us in everything else to be that prescriptive, and so what she was saying was pull back from being well too prescriptive in her mind. I was just thinking of it as being very complete, right? <laughs> but but she knew that I was setting myself up for for creating an, an immense amount of debt in the future that I would have to keep updated.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good a really good point. I love I love that. So. I think we're getting close to close to losing my time, my valuable time with you. I want to make sure that we we make the best use of it. So, I was wondering if we could how like I was wondering if we could answer for people. Let's say they're listening and they 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 understand like okay, ever evergreen content is definitely all we want to do. We want to do that, but we have a either a small team and we're just kind of starting out. Like it feels like, do we need to write more tutorials right away, or should be should we be focusing on evergreen content right away? Like, how could we start to think about incorporating evergreen content and maybe like where it fits in, like the in a, like a new developer relations program or or just starting out?
1: You know, so something we're. Over the last few minutes of this conversation, something I'm thinking about is that it kind of sounds like you and I are really pushing for evergreen, right? And really what we need to make sure that we're focusing on is what does the user need? What does Mm -hmm. our customer or our learner need? And sometimes it's just not going to be evergreen. And Mm -hmm. we got to be, we got to get to the point where it's okay, where we're okay with that, because otherwise we're like, well, this isn't evergreen, so let's not do it. Or this isn't evergreen, so it's going to be too expensive to maintain down the road or something like that. Like sometimes we're just going to have to create something um, that is going to need a lot of updates regularly. And so that's where you start to say, okay, maybe that's something where we do using a document or a content management system. Where we can have multiple people or we can have an intern or someone who's not a specialist, you know, because getting on video is really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I should say looking good on video is really hard. (laughs) Audio can be really hard. Like some people have a really hard time sounding good on audio. And that could be, I mean, honestly, it could be as petty as your voice doesn't sound professional, right? Or, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why audio could sound hard. But like you could, you know, putting together a half a paragraph and an updated screenshot, that's something I could give to a fairly recent hire with very minimal training and they don't need like a special microphone or or anything like that. Right. So I would probably sit down and just strategize like, okay, what are the things that that should be in video or audio or. You know, something that's managed through, like, for example, a blog, blog software or something like that. And then, and then just start there and maybe even figure out, you know, what is it going to actually take to update this? Is it going to, you know, cause I know some organizations bring in actors, they bring in professional actors, right? Or models or whatever. Are we going to need to do that every time we have to update stuff? You know, when, when our UI changed, we got to bring in a whole bunch of new actors again. Or is it something that we can, you know, give to, Someone in marketing that's kind of an entry level person.
0: Yeah, I, I love that the conversation went this way because you are absolutely right, and that you know, there's no like right or wrong. Like the evergreen content has a purpose and like a use, but it is not always what your learner needs. Like if I want to accomplish a task using React and Redux, I'm going to want something that just tells me like how to how to work through that versus like a conceptual guide right so it totally depends on what the objectives are and then i think i think you're right in that the 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 right questions to be asking are more like how do we make sure that this is going to last a long time and it's not going to overburden us and create a ton of maintenance for us and so you know maybe video isn't the right answer here or it's like we want to do video here because you know it's it's going to create something that's engaging we're we're doing like a visual concept so a visual guide is going to be more useful but we need to know that okay well we've got graphic design that's going to be involved because camron can't make beautiful graphics cuz he's a software developer yeah we need we need the graphic design team so that means that if we need to update it we're going to need to know that they're going to have to get in their queue. They're going to
1: prioritize (laughs) you. You might be two quarters out. Exactly.
0: And it really makes me like think of like how the web is so useful for creating content that it can be easily updated. Because if you are teaching something, even visual, I'm thinking of something like like an SVG, which is HTML. I mean, it's, it's not HTML, but it it is a markup language, and you can target parts of the SVG with CSS and with animation, and all that kind of stuff. Versus like a static graphic that you need to get someone involved into updating. If you're, if you're even something simple like that, like creating an illustration in an SVG is easier to update than it is in like a PNG or a JPEG or whatever. Yeah. And so making little decisions like that. They're like little micro decisions that add up over time, make things easier to maintain for your team and, and for, for external contributors to help you keep updated too, because you can
1: leverage the community to help keep your content updated. Yep. And always make sure you're asking that question, what is the best medium for my user? And, and you know, I, I think we've heard people with with, for example, a programming problem, they don't want to watch a three-hour course. They want to find the solution to their problem, which might be a two-minute clip in a three-hour course. Yes. And if that's the case, then maybe making three-hour courses is the wrong thing for your audience.
0: Yep, exactly. Or, or organizing the video clips in such a way that they're like recipe-based, or I think we call them playbooks at Pluralsight, but they're like recipes where you, you know what what kind of thing you need to get done and the clip is self-contained and, and goes from end to end, so you don't need the, all the extra context. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good way to put it. Well, I think we have time for the drop an Apple segment. And Jason, this is your chance to drop some knowledge on the audience. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, what's one thing you wish someone had told you early on about creating content and education
1: for developers? Hmm. maybe that it is a continual learning process like i had to learn i wanted to do everything on my own because i if i'm going to outsource any part of it i want to make sure that i know how to talk about it you know to train whoever i outsource it to and i and i've since outsourced editing for example but i had to learn that i thought i was amazing at at delivering stuff right? Cause I was an stage speaker and I did webinars and radio and all the stuff, how hard could could courses online be? And I learned that there was a lot to learn, right? So I learned about scripting right. and I, I had to learn that my visuals, you know, early on were pretty weak because on stage, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at my face and my, and my, my expressions and not read something on a slide, right? But when you're when you're doing a course, that's a whole different kind of visual that you need. And so, really, I, I think I just needed to understand. I wish somebody would have said, "Look, you're you're fine. Get stuff out. And the more you do it, the more you're going to learn how to do it better."
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like don't don't chase perfection right out of the gate because it's not gonna not gonna exist. <laughs>
1: No. And and maybe, I mean, I remember, I think it was my 32nd course. I was like, am I starting over? Cause I don't even know how to, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, (laughs) it's like, I've forgotten everything. Right. So just, just, I mean, I've had to learn how to, how to be okay with learning and how to have fun with it. And, and then it's just freaking awesome when you get it done, you know, when you get it done, it's a massive accomplishment, even though someone's like, Oh, look, there's another one hour course or 90 minute course. It's like, okay, that just took the last three months of my life. Like, I'm going to take a breather and just sit back and appreciate how awesome that was.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, where can people go to find out more about you and what you've been up to?
1: You know, I mean, for everybody listening to this, I'd love you to watch my courses. So just go to go to your search engine, type in site Alba, A-L-B-A. Other than that, I'm still actively working on my job search CRM, which is jibberjobber.com. And, and then just go look up my name if you want to learn more about me. I got books and all kinds of stuff that I've done over the years.
0: Yep. And I, I will definitely include links to everything that we've talked about or mentioned in the show notes. So you can check that out and click on the links. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about content with us. And I, I love that the discussion sort of went in like, well, you know, sometimes you don't need evergreen content that's okay. We should be thinking about all these different, you know, all the different aspects of what the content means. So I really appreciate you coming here to chat with me today. And, and I, I wish you the best. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason. Here are the things I thought were worth pointing out when it comes to developer marketing and education. I love the tree metaphor Jason used that evergreen content lives through the seasons, just like the evergreen tree in my front yard. That means evergreen content can be great for organic SEO because it can live a long time without needing updates. I've heard that this can also be called tentpole content. Even so, it's not like evergreen content is a panacea of maintenance. Jason mentioned still having to go back and update his old courses. And when I think about video, it adds another layer to the maintenance equation. You need to understand that if you're producing videos, even though they are more engaging, They will end up requiring more maintenance down the road depending on what's in them. But not all of your developer content can or should be evergreen. It's just another part of your content portfolio, and it's important to know what your mix is. When we build software, we're aware of the concept of technical debt. When we create content to be consumed, like food, we need to be aware of mold and rot. When is your content best consumed by? What's the sell-by date? If you aren't tracking when your content needs to be refreshed or thrown away, you'll have quite the situation down the road where it'll be a stinking mess that might be turning developers away from your product instead of attracting them. There are a handful of strategies and tactics to lower this maintenance, including scripting what you say, creating shorter videos, slicing longer topics based on their evergreen-ness, using vanity URLs, covering strategies not tactics, avoiding showing UI that will easily get outdated, and using a consistent microphone. I also encourage creating standard procedures for editing video and publishing so that the future you or your team members can do it consistently. Maybe even in the future we'll be using AI voice training, which makes overdubbing a bit easier. We'll have to have a future episode on that. There can be unexpected implications to what's in your content. As Jason mentioned, what if you make a reference to a company or an event that somehow turns into a negative PR disaster? There could be legal or compliance implications. Now you'll need to comb through your old content to fix that or remove the content altogether. Not fun. Have you ever had hair in your food? These seemingly tiny implications affect your brand experience. Even little things like a video being outdated or a link going to a 404 page. Little points of friction that can have big effects on the trust people place with your brand. It's a fly in their soup. To help avoid this, one of the things we talked about was creating a system to monitor or audit your content. This could be as simple as an Excel spreadsheet or as fancy as using Notion, Slack, and Reminder workflows to create an automated calendar of maintenance tasks for your content team. Restaurants, grocery stores, retailers, anyone dealing in perishable product have systems in place to monitor inventory and expiration. Your digital content isn't really any different. There are products called digital asset managers, or DAMs, that can help with this. That's it for this week. I'm Kamran Ayub, and I hope you'll join me again next time for Dev Educate. If you'd like to get tips on removing barriers to adoption when scaling your dev tool, check out my blog at comronayoub.com daily. You can also reach out to me directly with questions or comments through my website or on Twitter at comronayoub. I hope you have a lovely day.